We're going to get started soon. If you could turn the overhead projector off. SFGTV. All right, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, please come in, take your seats. The meeting will come to order. This is the regular meeting of the Land Use and Economic Development Committee. I am Supervisor Malia Cohen, Chair of this committee. To my left is Supervisor Jane Kim, and to my right is Supervisor Scott Weiner, Vice Chair. Our clerk, our clerk today is Ms. Andrea Osbury. And I also would like to take a moment and acknowledge, as well as thank Jesse Larson and Jonathan Gumwalk, who will be televising this broadcast on SFGov TV. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements this morning? Yes, please silence all electronic devices. Completed speaker cards and copies of any documents to be included as part of the file should be submitted to the clerk. Items acted upon today may appear on a February 10th, 2015 Board of Supervisors agenda unless otherwise stated. Thank you very much. Madam Clerk, could you please call item number one? Item number one is a resolution imposing interim zoning controls for an 18-month period for parcels along Market Street west of Octavia Boulevard. Great. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Supervisor Wiener is the author of this item, and he will present uh, this item as well as lead the discussion. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Madam Chair. Um, colleagues, uh, this resolution will uh, impose interim zoning controls uh, on for the parcels zoned NCT3 uh, which are facing Market Street west of Octavia Boulevard, uh, and specifically requiring that uh, certain office-type uses, including business and professional services and limited financial services, will require a conditional use authorization from the Planning Commission before going in. Uh, colleagues, you'll recall that uh, previously I had introduced interim zoning controls uh, for uh, the rest of Upper Market Street, as well as Castro Street and 24th Street in Noe Valley, and that we are moving towards uh, permanent zoning controls for Upper Market uh, NCT for the Castro Neighborhood Commercial District, as well as 24th Street in Noe Valley, uh, to permanently require a uh, conditional use for these uh, office-type uses. Um, as uh, I think we all know, a vibrant and successful commercial corridor requires active uh, retail, um, requires uh, retail and eating and drinking establishments and a diversity of uses that are active during the day, during the night, and on weekends. When a commercial corridor has too many office uses on the ground floor, uh, what, uh, whether real estate offices, title companies, uh, banks, uh, other kinds of office uses, uh, it can really negatively impact the vibrancy of a commercial corridor. That's not to say that these office uses are uh, never appropriate. Um, every uh, healthy commercial corridor will have a mix of various kinds of uses. Uh, but we have seen that at times we'll have an over-proliferation of too many office-type uses on the ground floor, uh, and that will negatively impact the vibrancy of a commercial corridor. Uh, so we are extending these interim controls, and again, we are working towards a permanent set of zoning controls for these three commercial corridors, and I ask for your support. Thank you very much. We'll now take public comment on this item. Are there any members of the public that'd like to speak on item number one? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, colleagues, are there any additional comments? Seeing none, okay. Um, 
Madam Chair, may yes. I? I would, oh, I'm sorry. I'll, yes. I'll make a motion to forward item one to the full board with positive recommendation. Okay. Seeing no objection, that motion passes unanimously. Madam Clerk, could you please call item number two? Item number two is a resolution supporting California Assembly Bill 96, prohibiting the sale of ivory and rhinoceros horn. Okay, Supervisor Weiner is also the item of the item number two. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, colleagues, before us today is a resolution that will put San Francisco on record in support of Assembly Bill 96, uh, which uh, will close a gigantic loophole and allow us to really crack down on the illegal sale of ivory and uh, uh, rhino horn in California. Um, uh, the bill is sponsored by the Speaker of the Assembly, Tony Atkins, as well as Senator Ricardo Lara. Um, uh, I want to thank Supervisor Katie Tang for co-sponsoring this resolution uh, with me. Um, colleagues, we have a significant problem uh, in San Francisco in particular, but elsewhere in California and the U.S. as well, uh, where we have a market for illegal ivory uh, that is helping to fuel the extermination of elephants and rhinos as well uh, around the world. Uh, it is getting to the point where uh, elephants and rhinos um, are going to become endangered and ultimately extinct uh, if we do not act here in San Francisco, in California, and around the world to put an end to this despicable trade um, where elephants and rhinos are being uh, killed and absolutely mutilated uh, for uh, ivory and rhinoceros horns. Um, this poaching is a growing problem. Um, on average, 96 ele elephants per day are killed in Africa, uh, and some estimates suggest that Central African elephants um, may be extinct by the year 2025. Uh, more than 1,020 uh, rhinos out of the 29,000 remaining in South Africa were poached and killed just in 2014. Uh, rhino poaching is increasing by 30% a year. Um, within the U.S., uh, San Francisco has consistently ranked among the top markets for the illegal ivory trade. Uh, this demand is uh, absolutely helping to fuel uh, the poaching and the killing of elephants uh, and rhinos, and we have an obligation in San Francisco, given the size of the market here, uh, to be very firm in our support for this legislation and for decisive steps to end uh, poaching. Um, and poaching is not just limited uh, to elephants and rhinos. Uh, we've seen recently, and it was reported a few months ago in the New York Times, uh, that uh, the poachers are now starting to poison vultures uh, because uh, having uh, spotting circling vultures is one way that authorities are able to tell where poaching is occurring, and vultures are headed uh, towards endangered uh, status in parts of Africa. Um, so AB 96 was recently introduced in the state legislature, and it will prohibit any person from purchasing, selling, offering for sale, possessing with intent to sell, or importing with intent to sell ivory or rhinoceros horn, um, except with uh, certain exceptions relating to educational uh, or scientific research. Um, with the passage of AB 96, California will join New York and New Jersey in passing this kind of legislation. Uh, the California Commission on Asian and Pacific Islander American Affairs voted in support of AB 96, um, so it did endorse the legislation. Uh, and this resolution will put us as a city uh, on record. So colleagues, I ask for your support. Uh, we do have a few brief presentations, uh, followed by public comment. 
And so, Madam Chair, if I may, um, I'd like to first uh, ask Brandy Kunsel from the uh, San Francisco SPCA, who is here on behalf of SPCA as well as the Humane Society. And she will be followed by uh, Rosemary Alice uh, from the March for Elephants and Rhinos. Please continue. Sorry, I don't want to bump anybody's presentation here. <laughs> Hi, good afternoon, supervisors. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to hear, uh, appear before you. My name is Brandi Kensel, and I am the Corporate Counsel and Director of Advocacy at the San Francisco SPCA. I'm here on behalf of the San Francisco SPCA, as well as the Humane Society of the United States and the Humane Society International, two of the NGOs that have co-sponsored Assembly Bill 96, um, to close the enforcement loophole in California's decades-old ban on the sale of elephant ivory and to prohibit the trade in rhinoceros horn. The other NGOs co-sponsoring this important measure are the Natural Resources Defense Council, the California Association of Zoos and Aquariums, Wildlife Conservation Society, and the Oakland Zoo. AB 96 enjoys the support of a dozen more animal protection, conservation, and environmental organizations, and as Supervisor Wiener just said, was recently endorsed by the California Commission for Asian Pacific Islander American Affairs. The Commission's support reflects a growing global Asian Pacific Islander movement to end illegal ivory trafficking. Asian celebrities, international governments, and commercial entities are moving towards change on this issue. The United Nations lauded the Chinese government for publicly destroying six tons of confiscated ivory in January of last year alone. Additionally, several other major Chinese retail markets have either ended or are in the process of ending the sale of ivory. AB 96 is principally co-authored by Speakers Atkins and Senate Appropriations Chair Lara, and is co-authored by State Senators Hancock, Leno, Pan, Pavley, and Assembly Members Bloom, Bonta, Levine, Manshine, I always get that wrong, McCarty, Rendon, and Williams. <laughs> we thank Supervisors Wiener and Tang for their humane leadership by introducing this resolution, signaling San Francisco's important support for AB 96 and for protecting elephants and rhinos from cruel poaching that may soon drive the species to the brink of extinction. Wildlife trafficking is an escalating global crisis that the federal government has identified as a threat to our national interest. Now that New York has banned the ivory trade, California is the largest market for ivory sales in the United States. By clarifying California's 40-year-old ivory prohibition, AB 96 would protect endangered species and also aid in combating international terrorism. Black market ivory trade is a crucial source for funding for military resistance and terrorist groups, such as the Janjaweed Militia in Sudan and the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda. Transnational organized crime has also increasingly taken part in the illegal ivory trade because of the lucrative profits associated therewith. The African elephant population, as we kind of touched on earlier here, has declined by an estimated 50% over the last 40 years, and the Asian elephant population has been reduced to half of what it was just at the beginning of the century. More than 30,000 elephants were perched in 2012 alone, with the United States contributing to this crisis by providing the second largest market in the world just after China. Previous studies have shown that one-third of ivory offered for sale in the U.S. was recently carved, and it was not antique. A staggering 1,215 rhinos were poached in South Africa last year alone, out of a remaining only 29,000 in the wild globally. San Francisco and Los Angeles have been repeatedly identified as top markets for ivory, encouraging this trafficking that funds illegal and violent activities across the globe. The ivory trade in California is extensive. A NDR, an NRDC report found that up to 90% of the ivory found in L.A. and 80% in San Francisco were likely from illegal sources under California law. 
Existing federal laws are really hard to enforce, and they have a lot of loopholes. Therefore, California must act in, in passing AB 96 to prevent illegal activity within the state. We respectfully urge you to support this resolution to help pass AB 96 and perhaps, as important, help raise international awareness that the wildlife trafficking is cruel, dangerous, and it's risking the very existence of really important species. And I've brought for me today, in case you guys want one, um, copies of the bill fact sheet and a Q&A. If you want copies, just let me know. I also have copies of the Asian Pacific Islander American Affairs Support Letter. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And if you would leave those there for the clerk so that they can be on the record. Thank you. Um, and now I want to ask uh, Rosemary Ellis uh, from March for Elephants and Rhinos, um, who's done a lot of great organizing work. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Scott. Um, I'm going to need someone's help to understand how to turn this on. I'm assuming I just turn this on here to get the feed into the display. We're going to, we're calling SFGovTV. Okay. It's on. Your presentation right. is loaded. Good. Good evening. My name is Rosemary Allens. I'm a member and co-founder of March for Elephants San Francisco and a software engineer for NASA's SOFIA mission. Thank you greatly for the opportunity to present today on behalf of Earth's last elephants. Everything begins with a story. And today we begin with remembering those great bulls and matriarchs who have been killed for ivory. I'm not sure you can see clearly, but I'll read their names in order from left to right. Ego, killed in 2009. Comquat, a matriarch in 2012. Mountain Bull, 2014. Satao, 2014. Comquat's story is especially poignant. She was a mother, a grandmother, and a matriarch. Just before her 50th birthday, and just 24 hours before this iconic image of her was taken by Nick Brandt from Big Life Foundation, she was killed as she was traveling between the border of Tanzania and Kenya. On that same day, on October 28, 2012, along with Comquart, her daughters and her family were also killed. Only the youngest calf, Kwanzaa, survived. She had stood vigil over her mother's body all night and was found the next day. So these are the stories of elephants, and these are also the stories of the rhinos. The story of the rhinos who were brutally attacked in March 2012, Tandi and Themba, is equally tragic. Tandi survived and has recently given birth. Of the several species of rhino remaining, one is killed every 8 to 12 hours in South Africa for its horn. This presentation will focus on the African elephant. The Asian elephant, for example, the Sri Lankan elephant, where I was born, is also highly vulnerable from human-elephant conflict and exploitation. However, he's not the victim of widespread poaching, given that only the males of the species have tusks. So this brings us to the story of the Zangabai. The Zangabai is a clearing in the forest 
of the Central African Republic. It is a World Heritage Site. At the center of this incredible opening is a sandy salt lake and also a stream. Elephants have gathered here for centuries to socialize, to tell each other their stories, and to communicate with each other. The word Zangabai literally translates to the village of elephants in the local dialect. Elephants have come here long, long, long before humans ever walked the earth, long before the first human ever experienced that first photon from our star, the sun. The next slide, I must warn you, is rather graphic, so if you're sensitive, I would advise you to look away or, or close your eyes. On Monday, May 6, 2013, poachers raided the Bai and killed at least 26 elephants and four calves. 62% or more of Africa's forest elephants have disappeared in the last decade, implying that they could be extinct in the next 10. More than 100,000 elephants have been killed in the past three years. A tipping point has been reached, meaning that more elephants are killed and are dying than are being born. Therefore, extinction is looming within a generation. The current wave of poaching is primarily fueled by markets in China. However, the United States is the second largest market for illegal ivory, and the illegal ivory trade in California has doubled in the last eight years. It is important to note that poaching and wildlife trafficking is the fourth largest transnational crime and Ivory helps fund the operations of notorious terrorist groups. The elephants are a keystone species, so what does this mean? And as far-fetched as it may sound, elephants mitigate climate change. Dr. Sam Wasser from the Center of the Conservation Biology at the University of Washington has this to say. They are environmental architects. They keep woods down in the savanna and are the most important dispersers of seed of rainforest trees. The Central African rainforest is the second most important area on Earth for capturing carbon dioxide and storing it. So, elephants have an impact on climate change. Our coastal city of San Francisco needs elephants in more ways than one. Adding some levity to a, to a grave topic, we generated, March for Elephants San Francisco generated this graphic on behalf of the global marches that happened on October 4, 2014. More than 130 cities around the planet participated in this march, including Antarctica, where several good people bundled themselves in parkas and held up signs saying, end the trade in elephant uh, ivory and rhino horn. Supervisor Wiener was good enough to be at this march, and he advocated passionately and well on behalf of elephants and rhinos, and we thank him for this.
We thank California and State Assemblymember Atkins and her colleagues for introducing AB 96, 96 for the 96 elephants killed every day. If it passes, it will take effect on July 1, 2016. It prohibits the trade in ivory and rhino horn in California and removes a loophole in current CA law that makes enforcement difficult or impossible. Again, we thank Scott Wiener and the City of San Francisco for introducing a resolution supporting AB 96. We fully support and applaud this effort and strongly encourage Mayor Ed Lee to lend this historic resolution his full support. We also encourage this committee and the board to support the resolution and to discuss further legislative measures strengthening AB 96, provided such measures do not jeopardize the passage of AB 96 or the resolution supporting it. I'll leave you today with a story by the elephants themselves, the story, a story by the elephants from the village of elephants in a faraway place called the Zangabai in the center of the Central African rainforests. This is a recording of elephant voices and it's an articulation or a vocalization of sound that's captured below 20 hertz. 20 hertz is the threshold at which humans hear. Below 20 hertz, we cannot hear. And these sounds have been captured by scientists and others at the Zangabai and speeded up so we can hear them. Um, I believe, and I'm sure my colleagues here believe too, that it's quite beautiful. And I recommend that you close your eyes and, and listen to it for a very short time. It's less than a minute. I'll end it there, apologizing for the quality of the sound. Technology doesn't always lend itself easily. 
But thank you for your time. I thank you all. I strongly encourage you to support the resolution. And uh, I, I welcome the testimony from my colleagues from March for Elephants and other organizations here as well. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, Rosemary. I appreciate it. Um, okay, so Madam Chair, may we open public comment yes. on item two? Yes, um, I have a, several um, public comment cards, right. so hand off to you. Okay, great. Uh, so we'll call for public comment. Public comment will be uh, two minutes. Um, and uh, we'll start with Rebecca Lee, uh, Amy Liu, uh, Gina Kinsley, Christine Kiesling, uh, Mary McAllister, and Danny Latham. To speak in the podium. Yes, that's fine. Hi. Uh, <coughs> Sorry, I'm a little sick. Um, my name is Rebecca Lee. I am a Chinese-American, an immigrant myself, and a longtime resident of District 3, which includes Chinatown. I'm here to simply urge your support uh, to support Assembly Bill 96 and join uh, many statewide API Asian Pacific Islander statewide leaders in supporting this resolution and those uh, many noted, um, previously noted, the California Commission of Asian Pacific Islander, which is a statewide body of um, API leaders from all over the state, as well as uh, the Asian Pacific Alliance for Wildlife Sustainability, award-winning journalist Lisa Ling and her husband, Dr. Paul Song, um, of the Courage Campaign, um, here to, simply here to um, urge your support. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. And then the names that I called, if um, feel free if you'd like to um, line up along the far wall. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Amy Lin. Um, I'm a resident here in the city. Um, if you could speak closer to the microphone. Thank you. Okay. Good afternoon. My name is Amy Lin. Um, I'm a resident here in the city. I'm here to ask you to support Assembly Bill 96. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Gina Kinsley, and I'm the lead elephant keeper at the Oakland Zoo. With four African elephants under my care, I have the privilege of witnessing these intelligent, emotionally complex, socially dynamic, and empathetic beings on a daily basis. Not a day goes by where they do not teach me something new, whether it's their interactions with one another when being protective, how they problem solve to find food, use tools such as a stick to scratch their ears, or stand on a log to reach something high, I'm always challenged and perplexed by their behavior. As Oakland Zoo is on the forefront of animal welfare and conservation, I have not only been on the cutting edge of how to care for these animals, but have also had the opportunity to travel to Africa to witness elephants in the wild, giving me the experience to raise awareness and educate people of their plight. Through Conservation Partners Ambicelli Trust for Elephants, 96 Elephants with Wildlife Conservation Society, Big Life Foundation, and March for Elephants, I have spent days speaking with visitors, mostly children, about the ivory trade. As most people think the ivory tusks grow back or they can be easily harvested, they do not realize the ivory comes from dead elephants and horn comes from dead rhinos. The children are terrified to learn this, and I have been touched by so many young faces that start their own campaigns to raise awareness in their own classrooms. When I tell the parents that their own state and their own cities are significant contributors to this crisis, they are mortified. We can't let this happen in our own backyard, and we cannot contribute to the end of such an icon iconic being. Thank you for your support and your time. 
Thank you very much. And actually, let me just call a few more names. Pat Huey, Andrew Harmon, Walter Crump, Patrick uh, Valentino, and uh, Sia Hearth, and Sally Stevens. Good afternoon. My name is Christine Kiesling, and I reside in San Francisco's 7th District. In 2009, while in a warehouse browsing an enormous range of objects, both old and new, I was shocked to see a massive, over six-foot-tall tusk in a corner near the front door. Knowing both the law and that this tusk could not be old, I was also aware that reporting this item to Fish and Wildlife, understaffed and underfunded, was probably useless. During March and April of last year, Daniel Stiles of the Natural Resources Defense Council conducted a count of ivory objects available from over 100 vendors in Los Angeles and the San Francisco Bay Area. This report, noting that illegal stock had more than doubled since the last study eight years ago, and concluding that over 80% of all the ivory examined was illegal under current state law, was picked up by the LA Times and the San Francisco Chronicle. Today, I could easily go shopping and fill a large bag full of non-antique and post-1977 import ivory objects. Given the dependence of the contemporary ivory trade upon the wholesale and brutal butchery of elephants in Africa, awareness of the poaching epidemic alone is demonstrably not enough to stem ivory sales. Wherever someone engages in the ivory trade, freshly carved objects are liable to be given a patina, whether literally treating it for age or merely asserting it. These might be given fraudulent identifications, such as mammoth, oxbone, or cowboat. I know this because it happens, so please pass this resolution in support of ending the ivory trade. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Is that showing up? I gave a hand up. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Macy McAllister. I'm a homeowner at 2418 Washington Street in San Francisco. Few resolutions so define what it means to be a San Franciscan for me as this one. While raising awareness about the current ivory ban, how the current ivory ban has failed, and San Francisco's complicity in the ivory trade, I encountered San Franciscans across the city who were uniformly shocked and appalled at this news. Enacting a total ban on the sale of ivory will not be accomplished without difficulty, but San Franciscans realize our responsibility to the global environment and to its creatures. A San Francisco motivated by seeing the pain horses experience while pulling streetcars uphill introduced our iconic cable car system. Witnessing the unnecessary animal cruelty has motivated us to innovate ways to end the suffering. The greatest San Francisco innovations are social, namely to advocate for the right to be, regardless of race, gender, or species. Representatives of the racial and cultural diversity which defines San Francisco marched together on October 4th, 2014 to protest the sale of ivory and rhino horn. It was the largest march in the U.S. and the second largest in the world. Stopping this trajectory towards elephant extinction will require racial and cultural cooperation around the world. Without such cooperation, there is no hope. At the march in San Francisco, I saw an Asian woman give little toy elephants to African-American children. I saw hope. We can set an example. Please support this resolution. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. 
Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Pat Huey, and I have lived in San Francisco since 1982. I live in the Haight-Ashbury District. Thank you for hearing us on this most important issue. I want to tell you a story about some elephants in Africa. In 2003, a number of antelopes were captured for a breeding program in Zululand. They were brought to a small village and placed in a corral. They were nervous, milling about, frightened. But that night, in the twilight, a herd of elephants paid a visit to the village. The elephants encircled the enclosure, inspecting it carefully. The matriarch studied the gate, and she quickly figured out how to unlock it. The antelopes escaped. The elephants then disappeared back into the night. We must stop the decimation of this wonderful species. According to the Center for Biological Diversity and polls among a majority of scientists, we are currently undergoing the sixth largest extinction in history for both animals and plants. 99% of current extinctions are caused by humans. Species diversity ensures the resilience of our ecosystem, and this helps our environment to withstand stress. Animals do not need us, but we need them, for without them we will surely die. We ask that you support AB 96. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker, Mr. Crump. Good afternoon. My name is Walter Crump, and like many San Francisco residents, I was horrified to learn recently of San Francisco's widely reported status as the nation's number two ivory hub. This status seems to me to be terribly inconsistent with San Francisco's reputation and image as a compassionate and forward-thinking city. I applaud Supervisor Weiner and Supervisor Tang for their efforts to shut down the ivory trade in San Francisco and restore San Francisco's image as a true environmental leader. We've heard that 80% of ivory sold in San Francisco is illegal. Also, there has been a recent October 17th Washington Post article which reported that the United States over the last 20 years has become a criminal colossus in illegal wildlife trafficking. Thus, it's very important that once ABC, excuse me, that once AB 96 is passed, that the city and the state make a true commitment to enforcing in a coordinated and robust effort the enforcement of AB 96. One of the problems with California's current laws is that they are not enforced. AB 96 is a stronger, clearer, more effective law that will be easier to enforce, but it will only make a difference if the city and the state make a joint effort to coordinate with the police, the DA's office, the Department, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, and the Federal Department of Fish and Wildlife to make sure that these laws are understood by law enforcement that law enforcement is aware of these laws, and that law enforcement is committed to enforcing them. I thank you for your attention to this issue. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. <clears throat> Excuse me. My name is Danny Latham. I'm the director of marketing at the San Francisco Zoo. Um, as you may know, the San Francisco Zoo is home to the oldest black rhino in North America. Her name is Ellie, and she's 43 years old, and she's made an important contribution to her critically endangered species. She's had 14 offspring, 
15 grandkids, six great grandkids, and two great great grandkids. So the zoo is proud of its work with black rhinos during this critical time in their conservation, and we would like to draw the Commission's attention to a crucial piece of legislation that is aimed at saving rhinos and elephants. The San Francisco Zoo would like to express its support of California State Assembly Bill 96, which was introduced last week. The goal of this bill is to help save elephants and rhinos from extinction by banning the purchase, sale, offer for sale, and possession with intent to sell elephant ivory and rhino horn. The bill gets its name from the globally recognized 96 Elephants Campaign, which formed in response to the global wildlife crisis, in which an average of 96 elephants are being slaughtered daily for their ivory, and at least one rhino each day is killed by a poacher for its horn. As uh, you also may know, the illegal animal trade is 200, it's a $200 billion industry, and the U.S. is the world's second largest importer of ivory. Much of the ivory trade is currently illegal under a confusing set of U.S. regulations uh, that perpetuates black market sales of illegal ivory. And of course, the 96 Elephants Campaign is calling for the Obama administration to institute a moratorium on domestic ivory sales and calling other countries to do the same. So California AB 96 will include a ban on the rhino horn and empower U.S. Fish and Wildlife to enforce the law, like many of the other speakers have said. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Andrew Harmon. I'm the U.S. Communications Manager for WildAid based in San Francisco. Uh, our motto at WildAid is when the buying stops, the killing can too. And we focus on uh, d demand reduction campaigns in primary markets such as China, Vietnam. We also recognize that the U.S. continues to be a very large market for ivory, the second largest in the world, and San Francisco continues to be a primary market within the U.S. Uh, we thank you, Supervisor Wiener and Supervisor Tang, for your leadership. Uh, we know firsthand from our colleagues abroad that government officials, uh, that business leaders are looking to what's happening in the U.S., both on the federal level and in states such as California. Therefore, we strongly uh, support this resolution in support of AB 96. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Valentino. Good afternoon. My name is Pat Valentino. I'm here in a different capacity than I normally am, uh, not as an urban activist, but uh, on behalf of my uh, 20 years' work uh, on the board of an environmental uh, organization here in California. And one of the things I've learned over that period of time is, is to affect change. We have to change the DNA of how people think about wildlife and animal species. And I think this is a great step today that the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, or at least this committee, will be taking in supporting AB 96. Um, the law has a twofold purpose, as, as we've learned, to limit or eliminate the market but, uh, for ivory, but also to send a strong message of where we stand uh, here in San Francisco. So uh, we uh, ask that you uh, support uh, AB 96, and thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Stevens. Commissioner. Hi, my name is Sally Stevens. I'm the chair of the Animal Control Welfare Commission, and what we do is advise the board on animal issues. And at our last meeting in, in January on the 15th, we discussed the issue of AB 96, and we voted to support AB 96 and to uh, urge our elected officials to do as much as they can to make sure that it gets passed. At the time, the final wording of Supervisor Wiener's resolution was not out, so we couldn't explicitly support that resolution, but we definitely are in support of um, what he's doing, and I just urge you um, to support his resolution and also just do whatever we can as a city to support AB 96. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Tika Lyons, and um, I'm wondering uh, how far 
this sanction, the prohibition of the sale and the closing of the marketplace will go in protecting these magnificent animals. I think we need to know a little bit more about the entire economic, you know, the established marketplace in order to be effective. And just as, you know, historically, 150 years ago, castles and opera houses were built on ivory trade because it was very lucrative. It's, I, you know, I doubt that we'll make a big dent unless uh, the people whose livelihoods depend on that trade can be reassigned. A new industry is provided or, you know, grown in its place. So I'm just wondering about that, if San Francisco's can have any effect in, in understanding the larger economic marketplace. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. And also I have two more cards. I'll call Andrea Sparrow and uh, Julie Callahan. Good afternoon. My name is Andrea Spara, and I'm a long-term resident of San Francisco. My family arrived here 100 years ago, went to school here, learned to trade, and using their skills and a firm belief in the value of honesty and hard work, ran small businesses that became a part of the fabric of San Francisco's economy. I take pride in my forebearers' contribution to helping to build the foundation of what I consider to be a great city. As we've recently learned, San Francisco is home to one of the largest markets in ivory, not only in the state, but in this entire country. Make no mistake, the ivory trade is a heinous enterprise. Poachers are part of highly sophisticated, dangerous cartels that have established a violent and corrupt state, Once one that destroys families, not just elephant families, but human families as well. Hundreds of rangers have died protecting Africa's wildlife. Economies based on tourism, are floundering and will fade away once the elephants are gone. For what? For trinkets and statuettes, which are sold right here in shops just a few blocks from this room. I'm certain that you agree with me when I say that San Franciscans stand for what is decent and what is right. It is well known that our traditions are based upon supporting the underrepresented and the vulnerable, certainly not corrupt and violent terrorists. Is it not in complete contrast to our values when we stand by averting our eyes from a trade that uses items carved from tusks stolen from butchered elephants, an economy that is born from suffering and degradation? The good news is that you can control this. You can stop this today. Please support, please, I beg you to support AB 96, which speaks on behalf of Earth's last elephants and rhinos. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. We have a lot of weddings here. Oh. So. <laughs> Good afternoon. My name is Julie Callahan, and I live in Santa Cruz, California. I am here today as a voice for elephants and rhinos. Prior to attending the Global March for Elephants in 2013, I was unaware that ivory was still legally sold in California. While marching through Chinatown, I was shocked to see numerous shop windows overflowing with ivory trinkets. How was this possible at a time when elephants are on the verge of extinction? I have felt a special connection with elephants since visiting the LA Zoo as a young girl. Looking in the eyes of a female elephant, I immediately understood her intelligence, her sadness, and her depth. After learning that these sensitive, family-oriented beings were being killed at the rate of 96 per day, I felt compelled to do what I could to end this barbaric insanity. I started organizing for March for Elephants in Santa Cruz. 
The most frequent comment we hear while tabling is, I can't believe there isn't already a total ban in California. People assume ivory trading has stopped because of the worldwide awareness of the poaching crisis. They have watched programs or viewed Facebook posts showing the faces of elephants and rhinos brutally hacked off, their bodies left behind in a heap. They see images of helpless baby elephants refusing to leave their mother's sides after having witnessed the destruction of their entire family. I am here today to ask that the city of San Francisco second and ivory imports in the United States pass the resolution in support of AB 96. I look to San Francisco as a role model for other cities such as Santa Cruz to take similar actions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Hi, um, esteemed board and esteemed public. I am Saya Harth, 28-year resident in uh, Noe Valley, 24 years teaching for San Francisco Unified and a National Board Certified Teacher. I want to describe two mutually exclusive views of the city. View one, a world-class city, a sanctuary city, tolerant, inclusive, its board of supervisors representing all its major ethnicities and still managing to work together. Excellent. We have excellent animal humane facilities reflecting the kindness and respect for animals shown by our patron, St. Francis. View two. San Francisco's complicity in the ivory trade. This past July's Chronicle reported 2,500 ivory sales recorded in San Francisco, and these are only what made it to the books. Through our inaction to date, we know this means that elephant slaughter is on our hands, albeit unwillingly. Our silence breeding consent how do we justify these opposing views? Which view shall prevail? Will the real San Francisco please stand up? Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there any additional public comment on item number two? Okay, seeing none, Madam Chair, may we close public comment? Thank you very much. Public comment is closed. Colleagues, are there any additional discussions on this item? Seeing none, may I entertain a motion? Should I put my name? I'm sorry. Supervisor Wiener? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I want to thank uh, everyone who came out today for the presentations, but all the very um, uh, moving uh, comments by members. Uh, of the public. Uh, San Francisco is a city um, we really pride ourselves on being uh, good environmental stewards and always being uh, not just uh, good environmentalists but uh, always on the leading edge of uh, environmentalism and, and really uh, acting here the way we want uh, others to act around the country and around the world uh, to make sure that we have a sustainable future for this, uh, for, for the entire world. Um, we also are a city that uh, deeply uh, uh, respects um, all 
uh, beings on this earth and uh, that uh, believes intensely on humane treatment of uh, animals. And we practice that here in San Francisco uh, through all of our wonderful uh, animal supporting agencies and nonprofits. And uh, it's, a, it's a key value here in San Francisco. And so I think for a lot of us to know that this wonderful city with all of its uh, 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 values, uh, that we are also uh, such a significant center uh, of illegal trade in, uh, in ivory and in uh, uh, rhino horns, I think is frankly sickening. Um, when we see what's happening, uh, particularly in Africa, where we have species, uh, these majestic animals that are so key to the ecosystem, uh, that are being driven to uh, endangered status and even to extinction. Uh, uh, we should not have any uh, part in that. In fact, we should be uh, fighting it uh, tooth and nail uh, to end uh, these, this extermination. And so I want to really uh, thank, first of all, all the advocates who have been working on this issue for so many years and who will continue to do so because it's going to be a long fight. Uh, but I also really want to thank uh, Speaker Atkins and Senator Lara, as well as their co-authors, co uh, for taking the leadership uh, to move this bill forward. I know that in the legislature, um, this has been uh, floating around for a while, and it hasn't gained traction. Uh, seeing uh, the, the, the leadership in the legislature that has taken on uh, this bill uh, says to me that it actually does have a shot. Uh, this time, and I see, think we have a really diverse coalition. And so particularly given San Francisco's status as uh, one, of the, one of the leading uh, centers of illegal ivory uh, trade uh, in the country, uh, I think it sends a very loud message for us as a city to say no, this needs to be banned, it needs to end. And so uh, colleagues, I ask for your support, and uh, Madam Chair, I make a motion to forward item two to the full board with positive recommendation. Supervisor Kim. Thank you, Chair Cohen. And I just want to second that. And I do want to thank um, all of the um, advocates that are here today that have done a lot of organizing work. I know particularly over the last year um, to really bring this issue to surface. And I know um, uh, Sia Hearth reached out to our office back in um, March or April, and I had not known about this issue before that. Um, and I know one of our um, policy interns and actually who became my campaign manager um, was working with this group as well to support it. Um, I've learned a lot um, over the last couple of months. I think this is very important um, for us to take um, this position um, to ban um, this trade here in San Francisco. I had no idea that San Francisco was one of the top cities um, where um, these purchases are made. Um, not even hearing about the horrific stories of, of what um, elephants and rhino, uh, rhinos are going, out, uh, going on throughout the world. Um, but knowing that we can make a difference here in San Francisco, um, I'm really glad to see this moving forward and want to thank Supervisor Wiener and Tank for their leadership in bringing this to the Board of Supervisors. Okay, there's a motion that's been made and seconded, seconded for uh, this item number two to go to the full board with a positive recommendation. That motion is unanimous. I, too, would like to take a moment and thank the advocates for your tireless work. We appreciate it. Thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> Madam Clerk, could you please call item number three? Item number three is an ordinance amending the planning code to place 
office conversion controls in landmark buildings. Great, thank you. So colleagues, I'm the sponsor of this item. Um, and because we've heard this item last week, I, I won't repeat all of my comments, but just uh, want to remind the committee members that this ordinance is a follow-up to the interim controls that the board unanimously passed last year. This legislation establishes the floor controls and limits the amount of office space that is allowed in buildings that have been designated as a historic resource in the PDR 1D and PDR 1G zoning districts. This item was amended last week to incorporate the recommendations of the Planning Commission and the Historic Preservation Commission, both of which unanimously recommended approval of this legislation. Let's take public comment on this item. Is there any member of the public that would like to speak on item number three? Okay. Seeing none, public comment is closed at this time. Colleagues, is there any further discussion? All right. Motion made by motion made by Supervisor Kim for a positive recommendation, seconded by Supervisor Weiner. This motion passes unanimously. Thank you very much. Without objection, uh, Madam Clerk, could you please call item number four? Item number four is a hearing on the pavement to parks program. Great, thank you. Supervisor Reiner is the author of this item and will present and lead the discussion on this item. Thank you very much, Madam Chair. Uh, colleagues, um, I called for this hearing on the pavement to parks program uh, to receive an update uh, from our city departments and from the community on how the uh, program has progressed, um, what the, its challenges are, and how we can make sure that it succeeds uh, in the future. Um, as you'll recall, the Pavement to, Par Pavement to Parks program uh, is a very innovative program uh, that was started in San Francisco uh, about five or six years ago uh, to make sure that we are uh, creating great new public spaces, uh, uh, both by uh, taking underutilized street space and turning it into plazas. Um, and otherwise creating new public spaces. Uh, one of the great parts about the new urbanism uh, that we're seeing in San Francisco and throughout the country uh, is a renewed focus on public space and understanding uh, that while our uh, park system and our, our large amazing parks are critical, um, that it's also important to have these smaller neighborhood gathering spaces, whether it's a, a parklet, a plaza, whatever it might be. Um, having a terrific public space right in the middle of a neighborhood, even if it's small, can have significant positive benefits and really add to the vibrancy uh, of the neighborhood. Uh, and we want to make sure that the program uh, succeeds and that these public spaces uh, succeed. So that's why I've called for the hearing today. Uh, and I'd like to, uh, uh, with the chair's permission, uh, ask Ilaria Salvadori from the planning department uh, to provide an update uh, from the department on, uh, on the program. Great. Thank you. Welcome. We appreciate your presentation. Thank you, um, Supervisor, for hearing us today. Uh, we are very excited about um, having the opportunity of presenting to you today the, an update on the Payment Parks program. Um, I'm here with uh, Robin Abad from uh, the Department of San Francisco Planning Department, and I th uh, we should be joined by um, Public Works, um, Carla Short and Nick Elsner, and the MTA. Uh, staff met last year with Tabahonda. So as you know, we are an interagency um, group and we work all together on this program. Uh, so today I would like to give you a, an update on the program um, and then we'll go through the project portfolio and give you some case studies, illustration of case studies 
and uh, we'll close the presentation with our strategic plan, which will illustrate our goals and objectives for the next uh, uh, fiscal years. Um, so the program is um, uh, based on the idea that if we think about our streets, uh, San Francisco streets, uh, the land of 33% uh, um, of the land of the city is made up by streets. And so this presents a very exciting opportunities to um, rethink streets as resources for our public spaces. As Supervisor uh, Wiener was saying, you know, there are not only parks and open spaces, but there are also other smaller spaces that can make life, uh, quality of life of residents really um, improving uh, their lives. So uh, streets are important and uh, our general um, uh, strategy in the plan, in, in this program is to really look at short term actions and how these small projects uh, with a short um, uh, timeline can really impact long term change in the city and we'll see how in a few minutes. Um, we also, uh, our program also uh, fits the larger uh, policy framework of the city. Um, the San Francisco Pedestrian Strategy of 2013 uh, called for one payment to park plaza per year and also one parklet RFP cycle, so a cycle of proposals with 20 parklets approved and installed per year. And this is uh, exactly what we have been uh, working on in the past uh, years of the program. Um, we are also um, base our, our work is based on the Better Streets Plan, which is an important document citywide that talks about streets and uh, illustrates how streets should be designed in the future and guides new street design in the city. Our goals are many and uh, we mostly, um, our baseline is really working with communities. So we foster neighbor interaction. We make sure that uh, neighbors work together and uh, bring um, the program acts as a catalyst for for neighborhoods to grow and uh, and become stronger uh, communities. Um, we do encourage no motorized transportation. Uh, we look at pedestrian um, flows. We look at bicycle. We look at the transit first policy, and all this is based is uh, is interwoven really in our program. We, as I said, we imagine the potential of city streets and also um, with the Vision Zero mandate, uh, the mayor mandate of, for Vision Zero, we also, of course, uh, fo foster this uh, approach and uh, uh, we encourage pedestrian safety and activity in our neighborhoods. Uh, we do support local businesses through our program. Uh, we are very strong on partnerships and working together with groups and, uh, and stewards. And so businesses are part of this uh, constituency of our projects. And so we can say that we also support uh, local business. Um, we have uh, the program has uh, many functions and um, generally our idea and our work is really identified and facilitate and support community initiatives to create this interim public spaces. Um, we do assess site potential, uh, so we look at geographic equity and uh, as I said, uh, many modes of transportation. We build local capacity through stewardships and partnerships. We offer uh, project development and design advisory. We work with all the agencies of the city. We work with the elected offices and the city stakeholders. We do um, enforce uh, very uh, thorough and uh, um, strong standards, design standards for operations and maintenance also. And we do quality controls. So we look at uh, post-occupancy evaluations. And we do provide leadership nationwide, as you will see. 
um, in the follow rest of the presentation. Um, our criteria, um, you know, they're both geophysical and social. So um, it's important to us to look at places that have very wide roadways that are underutilized. Um, we look at neighborhoods that don't have green spaces or they have lack of greening in general. And uh, we always take the advantage of the situation to improve pedestrian safety. And also from a social perspective, we want to make sure that any project we initiate has a strong community support. Um, I would like to um, now have Robin, Robin Abad present uh, another part of the presentation where we'll go in depth with these principles and also we'll illustrate some of our project portfolio. Yeah. Good afternoon, supervisors. Um, so, um, as Alaria had mentioned, um, moving forward, we are um, very meticulous about um, examining where in San Francisco we can focus our effort to maximize our goals of providing open space across all of the city. Um, this past year, the San Francisco Parks Alliance commissioned a study to help us identify um, using a number of factors um, where we might start um, moving forward looking at specific areas of the city. We also work with a variety of sponsors, sponsor types. Of course, we're all familiar with the cafes and the restaurants that sponsor parklets, but increasingly moving forward, um, we're looking forward to creating really deep and meaningful partnerships with nonprofits and institutions. We have some forthcoming projects with some museums and art galleries, which we'll get into a little bit later. Our sponsors are also, depending on the, the type of project that they're working with the city on, um, have a, a different set of responsibilities and obligations to, to their installations. Of course, Pavement to Parks is an interagency program. Planning works very closely and has since the very beginning of the program with Public Works as well as MTA to administer and execute many of the complex um, functions related to the program and its projects. Also, moving forward, we recognize that it's really important for us to understand what the impacts of our projects are. What are these community-generated installations and these projects doing for their neighborhoods? What are the social impacts? What are the uh, potential impacts to pedestrian safety and activity? This past summer, the, the program launched a citywide survey, public life survey of parklets and plazas across the city. So this forms the kernel, the first a uh, real study to start examining these factors on a more consistent basis through time. As Alaria mentioned, we also provide technical assistance and all kinds of other guidance to programs which have emerged around the country and even the world. Staff from the planning department over the last five years have met with representatives from Nagoya, Japan, uh, London. Uh, we had staff visit Adelaide, Australia, um, and speak with those uh, urban planners about their, their parklet program as well. In general, Pavement to Parks helps to facilitate three kinds of projects. There's some hybridization and, and cross-generation between these, these three general buckets, and we'll go into specific examples, specific case studies of each of these three types of projects a bit later. To recap what Pavement to Parks has helped to produce in the last five years since its inception in 2009, the program has produced six pedestrian plazas, two of which have moved on, have graduated from the, that pavement to park experimental trial phase and become permanent plazas. Uh, three of the, of the four, which are currently in demonstration phase, are also on a path to becoming permanent. 
We have over 50 parklets across all neighborhoods of San Francisco. We'll look at a map of this a little bit later. Another almost three dozen in some stage of design review and permitting, and we're expecting for the forthcoming RFP in spring of 2015 over 100 applications. So the demand for, for parklets is clearly very high. We also have pro a number of prototypes which are floating around the city. So here we can see how parklets and plazas are distributed across neighborhoods. To get a little bit deeper into the portfolio, um, we can take a, a look at a couple of the, uh, a few of the prototypes that we've helped to produce. In 2013, Pavement to Parks in collaboration with the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition, SPUR and the YBCBD launched an international design competition for a mobile bicycle corral. We received over 60 design submissions from all over the world. The winning entry was submitted by a student group here at the Academy of Art, and this is the first prototype, which is out on the street being uh, operated um, by the YBCBD and SPUR. We've also helped to create a street stage, another idea which came out of a pro the prototyping festival um, organized by the Gray Area Foundation for the Arts a couple years ago, a, a mobile venue for uh, poetry readings and performances. And finally, uh, the portable parklet, which represents, really emblematizes what, how we want to move forward with the program and the types of collaboration and the, the types of work that um, we think we'd like to um, see in the future. This is a parklet designed by high school students through the Youth Art Exchange, an after-school um, education program sponsored by the Ocean Avenue Community Benefit District. This installation will move around the Benefit District over the next few years, every six months, being hosted by a different merchant in the district. It's currently being hosted by the Foglifter Cafe. The uh, Ocean Avenue branch of the San Francisco Public Library will also be hosting it for a while, so it's going to move around the neighborhood. Um, we're all familiar, of course, with our parklet program, the landmark iconic, iconic parklet program in San Francisco. The intention is to provide public space, um, new public spaces throughout the city. In 2013, the program took all of the lessons learned from the first three, four years of operating the parklet program and created some design guidance, some technical assistance for the public and we're taking even more of those lessons learned and creating another parklet manual, the second version of it, as the program evolves and matures. We're really uh, wanting to make sure that everyone has access to that guidance. Our graphics, um, this is a, a flowchart designed by Gary Chen, our graphic designer at Planning, um, has really inspired people all over the world. Our technical assistance materials, our guidance materials, um, have been emulated by other municipalities and other cities around the globe. Here is Sao Paulo's little uh, workflow diagram that was part of their manual they, received, uh, they released in 2014. Also, parklets are increasingly seen as a, as a tool, an instrument, um, that really align with uh, our goals for uh, pedestrian safety and livability on our streets. The um, National Association of County Transportation Officials recently encoded uh, um, the parklet in the Urban Street Design Guide and is going to be making it into the Global Street Design Guide that NACTO is uh, currently creating. Parklets are hosted by bicycles, shops, of course, cafes and restaurants. Here, a gallery in the Mission, the Luna Wren Gallery, works with a different artist in residence every year to create a new version of the parklet. They've worked with sculptors, they've worked with muralists um, to add a new piece of public art to the street. 
um, a really wonderful example of what the parklet can do. Here's some diagonal parking in the outer mission, or excuse me, the outer sunset, a parklet uh, hosted by a resident. And um, we also see how the parklet form can be adapted and is really malleable um, here on, uh, on Powell Street for two blocks on both sides of the street, relieving a really acute uh, pedestrian congestion problem that we saw downtown there. Um, just to preview a couple of the really exciting parklets that are coming up, again, representing um, where um, we're pushing the program towards some really exciting collaborations with organizations like the Exploratorium, Swissnex, which is the Swiss Cultural Annex in North Beach, as well as the Museum of Craft and Design in, in District 10 and the Dog Patch. And uh, Ilaria will talk a little bit about some of our plaza case studies. Thank you, Robin. Looking at our plazas, um, as, uh, we as we mentioned earlier, um, we have six plazas uh, installed. Four are in uh, the demonstration phase, and three are being upgraded to permanent state, and two are already permanent. So we have um, done a lot of work around this, and uh, the idea of the plazas is really to take um, a process that mimics a little bit the regular planning process, but it's a little bit accelerated in terms of implementation. So we do, um, we do have a, a very robust uh, community outreach, and uh, we um, typically start with a one-day to a week demonstration that can help to seed, um, it's like a seed for residents to see um, change come into their neighborhood. So it helps to uh, visualize what it means to change a street corner or a street or a block. And uh, uh, we then typically have a 12 to 36 month trial, which allows us to test ideas, both from a, a social perspective, but also a urban design perspective. So looking at traffic patterns, looking at how the design works or doesn't work. And it's almost like a, a phase of refining the design. And should the um, funding become available, um, typically some of these plazas can be upgraded to permanent. We also uh, typically start plaza designs in places that already have a community plan, a community interest, or area plans already developed, and sometimes funding on the horizon um, dictates the start of a permanent parks project. So it's really something that's concrete and rooted in, in implementation. Um, we brought a couple of examples. Obviously, Jane Warner Plaza is known to everyone uh, in San Francisco today. Um, uh, we put it down because uh, uh, just to show you how the process worked there, um, it is uh, the first pilot. So it's the first plaza, temporary plaza in uh, San Francisco that we built. And it is uh, something that um, you know brings a lot of uh, answers to pedestrian safety. It's a very broad intersection with transit and, uh, and in, uh, incredibly high pedestrian flow. So uh, the idea of bringing something here started with the phase one demonstration of three months uh, in 2009, followed by three-year uh, upgrade, but still temporary. And then uh, uh, today the plaza has been folded into the street bond project of uh, Castro Street Improvements um, uh, by Public Works. So it, it is kind of a, a development from one idea and a trial to a permanent space for the city of San Francisco. Um, Another project I worked on is the Persia Triangle. Um, it is uh, an area in San Francisco between, uh, um, it's a triangle defined by Mission Street and Ocean Avenue in Persia. And uh, it, as you can see from the photos, it's nondescript, it's not very, um, 
You know, it doesn't have a lot of height, it doesn't have a lot of uh, defining features as a space, but the community always told us that this was a, um, the heart of the neighborhood. So we work with the community to envision a new space that could bring some ideas, um, uh, urban design ideas to fruition, to, to, to implementation, uh, a corner plaza between Mission, uh, at the intersection of Mission and Ocean, and uh, other ideas um, to, to bring uh, a sense of place to the neighborhood. Um, we did an interim plaza design by David Fletcher Studio that looked at the corner also as a space uh, with the street print and crosswalks. And uh, we were able to inform through our trial design uh, and implementation the real permanent process, which is uh, an upgrade of the old bulb outs around the um, triangle and beyond. Uh, built by MTA. So there was funding by MTA to build them and we were able to influence a little bit the decision making of where to put this um, plaza thanks to our uh, temporary space. Uh, so from the community vision that was really strong and, and clear for people what to do, we went to uh, a one day trial in 2013 uh, during the Excelsior Festival. It was, was incredibly affordable trial with blue chalk but it, it just really helped the, the residents to envision what can, what can happen in a street corner if uh, you just do a few changes. And then uh, we installed the plaza in September, this September, a year later. And uh, the plaza has a lot of components. You can see there was a very strong community participation, collaboration from, with the um, MTA uh, traffic sign shop that were really uh, excited about improving uh, the site and also bringing a new type of crosswalk in the city. Um, and then uh, we work also with the Dep Dep Department of Public Works uh, uh, yard to install this project with modular systems. So the plaza was uh, open, uh, from, it will be open from September to approximately March, and then we will upgrade the site to a permanent condition uh, starting this spring. Um, uh, we will conclude the presentation with Eni Ali Plaza and an overview of our strategic plan very shortly. Thank you, and Robin is going to give that. Thanks. Just another quick recap of one of our recent plaza projects. Eni Ali was just a, a barren alley in um, the south of Market in District 10, which, as we know, is one of the is, is the district with the least amount of open space, and so. Um, any alley is now, after uh, installation of the um, reversible improvements in, in November 2014, a venue for cultural events, for programming, both during the weekend and the weekday. We have, obviously, a huge workforce that comes in during the week, but we also have a huge resident base in this neighborhood. Um, people who live here, um, there's a large senior population, and so the need for public space is um, just as necessary as any place else. Similar to other projects that Pavement to Parks has helped to facilitate, Annie Alley had seen a number of one-day, one-week-long demonstrations that really showed us what this site can do, what value it can deliver to the residents in the community and everybody who comes in to work in this area during the week. Here are just a couple events sponsored by the Yerba Buena Community Benefit District and organized by SPUR in both 2012 and 2013. As Alaria mentioned, moving forward, we really want to make sure that our projects are tied to or sit within a larger planning framework for neighborhoods and for streetscapes. Annie Alley was one of the projects identified in the Street Life Plan produced by the Yerba Buena Community Benefit District. 
that was issued in 2011. The graphic here shows all of the other alley spaces that were identified as part of that community planning process for potential experimentation with creating open space. A lot of this idea, many of these ideas were folded into the central SOMA plan, which the San Francisco Planning Department prepared. The draft was released in 2013. That plan is currently going through its EIR. Subsequent to the publication of the Yerba Buena Community Benefit District Street Life Plan, um, our team launched a community outreach um, process that took almost two years where we went, went out into the community to talk about design, to talk about programming for Annie Alley, which results in what we see there today, which is really a place for us to celebrate and expand on all of the things that we would love to see in our public spaces the Yerba Buena Community Benefit District has a really robust activation calendar that will take us through the end of this summer, um, including cultural events and, and other, other events. Quickly just wrapping up regarding Pavement to Parks' strategic plan. In 2013, our team, our interagency team, uh, got together and um, decided that we really wanted to take a close look and reflect on the first three or four years of Pavement to Parks' existence and try to understand how we can set up the program to be sustainable and to really effect effectively and efficiently deliver projects to neighborhoods and communities. So out of that workshopping process, we came up with these four goals which represent the core of our strategic plan and was presented to the directors for the first time in February of 2014. This is a two-year strategic plan, so we're about halfway through it. Um, really, the main points of um, our strategic plan are to really understand what um, the city and, and the, the participating departments would need in order to deliver on our uh, pedestrian strategy goals of one plaza a year with 20 parklets. We also wanted to understand from all of the pilot projects that we had initiated between 2009 and, and 2013, how we could um, formalize expectations between departments, but also what the public, formalize expectations for the public who come to the city for facilitation. Um, we also want to take a closer look at permitting and understand if there are ways um, to address our legislative and policy framework to um, make these projects more fiscally sustainable, especially for our sponsors. So with that, I'll just close. Thank Great. You. Uh, thank you very much. Um, I actually have a question, um, and I know that DPW and MTA are here, um, so I don't know, maybe this is for one of the departments or more than one. Um, we've been hearing um, from members of the public that uh, staffing constraints in the departments have uh, really s slowed the process in terms of creating these new public spaces. And, you know, we all want the Pavement to Parks program to succeed. Uh, and that obviously uh, requires having departmental resources that can support uh, the success of the program. Uh, so can whoever would be appropriate maybe comment on that in terms of staffing resources and what the extent to which it's impacting the program's expansion. Thank you. Um, so as you saw from the goals 
uh, on the screen. Um, we have been working uh, uh, together with other departments. So we had a presentation last year uh, to the director working group to uh, assess what is needed for our program to be uh, successful. So there are many um, uh, functions of the program and uh, we think that um, it's, it's our goal now to work together and bring uh, um, more clarity of roles between the agencies. Projects before were uh, implemented more like more ad hoc, so project by project. But we are, as we are growing as a program and becoming stronger, we would like to really have a clarity of roles between departments, so each agency having a role and um, having uh, the appropriate staff allocation for the future fiscal years, so fiscal year 2015-2016. So there is a need for uh, uh, staff and then also for um, a clear interagency roles as we go and implement projects. And staffing in which departments in particular? So, um, so we uh, we are three main departments. So, planning department, you met um, our staff here, and uh, we also have a department of public works, both um, uh, bureau, um, so BSM, uh, and then we have uh, uh, landscape architecture section and the DPW um, yard, which is the capital group uh, that implements. So, the ideal situation is obviously having all three departments working together. Uh, we've been also working with the, um, the department uh, MTA. Um, we have um, uh, staff allocated there. So we have done an evaluation of what is needed for future resources of these three departments. Okay. And is there, um, in terms of the three, and this isn't a criticism of anyone because there either are the staffing resources sure. or there aren't, is there a particular department that is having the, the, the most challenges? My sense is that DPW definitely has some Well, um, so the DPW is a critical department in this program because uh, they have functions, permitting functions, uh, design functions, and implementation functions. And so it's definitely the one department that can help the most in the program to make projects happen. And uh, right now we are probably understaffing that department. And do you, the, are there, in terms of... We're at the point in the budget process now. It's not come to the board yet, yeah. of course. And the departments start out by going to the mayor's office with their uh, requests. Um, are, is DPW or any of the departments potentially um, raising this issue uh, about, because these are not dramatic staffing increases that we need. It's a little bit here and there. Uh, and is that part of the budget discussions within the departments? Uh, so that the mayor can at least consider and the board can consider what to do. So, um, I don't know if, yeah. DPW want, if DPW maybe wants to comment on that, Ms. Short, in your new role. <laughs> Welcome. Good afternoon. Thank you. Carla Short, Department of Public Works, Bureau of Street Use and Mapping. Um, I think that what we've found from the permitting side of things is that we did need some additional staffing support to help, particularly with um, some reviewing of the permit requests, but then also tracking some of the administrative functions. So ensuring that we're getting the data that's necessary into our programs like Invista so that we're other um, city entities are aware of what's happening and that they know that a parklet might be programmed in the near future or that a, or that a temporary plaza might be programmed. And so as part, part of our budget request this year, we have identified some additional staff on the administrative side that we are requesting that would help support this program. All right. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Um, I might just add that um, in, 
as part of the strategic planning exercise, we looked closely at other um, Parklet and Plaza programs around the country, especially New York and Los Angeles. And I think um, what makes those programs so wonderful and effective is that um, the the, the city is the actual stakeholder um, with these big group of stakeholders who moves forward with implementation and design. And what we saw with um, some of our pilot projects and a couple of our most recent projects is a lot of the, the, the design work and the implementation is actually undertaken by the project sponsor. And um, so I think, you know, we find it worthwhile to look to these other programs and see that departments, the implementation departments, for example, DPW, which have the expertise in, in executing really great detailed design and also having the crews and the resources and the infrastructure to go out and to to actually lay paint down on the ground to, to deliver soil to the site. Um, you know, we, we would love to explore having those functions more, be part of a more robust um, function of our program moving forward. And, and is that part of the budget um, discussion as well? Uh, when, as we put together the estimates for staff time and um, the capital budgets in 2013, we did, yes, we did include those functions in yeah. um, what we would like to see. Okay, and I would assume that would, I would hope that would also for the design that the planning department would be involved. In my experience, when the planning department is involved, that's a positive thing for uh, some of these uh, design, public space designs. Not the detailed design, but the, at least the con conceptual Yes. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, thank you everyone. Um, at this point, we will go to public comment uh, with the permission of the chair. Yes. Okay, public comment will be two minutes. We have Matt O'Grady, Tyler Frisbee, Nicole Schneider, uh, Kamal Panjwani, um, and Sahidi Karampuri. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisors. Matt O'Grady. I'm the CEO of the San Francisco Parks Alliance. Uh, ten years ago plus, uh, the, uh, the city created a new collaboration with the Parks Alliance for street parks, which has been a tremendous success. Uh, we have now created some 125 public open spaces out of bits and pieces of leftover of the leftovers of the street grids, dead ends, steep hillsides, etc. These wasted little bits and pieces are now turned into beautiful open spaces created by the neighbors who have adopted them. That has been part of the inspiration for this Pavement to Parks project. Uh, and uh, this project now advances the city's goal for better equity in the distribution of our open space. These projects act as catalyzing agents in our neighborhoods, and they lead to the creation of long-term public spaces with rich in meaning and value for our communities. Uh, you may also know uh, and have seen the economic benefits study of San Francisco's parks that was recently commissioned by the Parks Alliance. That documented a nearly billion dollars in annual uh, economic benefit to the city for parks and open spaces. These uh, uh, pavement to parks projects build on that pattern of increasing value to the city. The Parks Alliance works very closely with the Pavement to Parks on projects such as the Persia Triangle that you just saw, Mission Community Market, and we support these uh, strategic plan goals and encourage you to continue to advocate for uh, the expansion of the Pavement to Parks program. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Frisbee. Good afternoon, Supervisors. Thank you for uh, holding this hearing and looking at this wonderful program. Uh, we at the San Francisco Bicycle Coalition are big fans of the Pavement to Parks program and all the work that has happened at SF Planning around this. We actually first floated and advocated for um, the Parklet 
program and Pavement to Parks as part of our Great Streets program started uh, almost 10 years ago now during the bicycle injunction uh, when we realized that one of the best ways to help people understand the value of their streets and to think of their streets as public spaces was to create places for them to actually take advantage um, and to, to participate in street life. Um, we have been I'd say very pleased to see the wonderful leadership that has happened within uh, SF planning. And I think one of the things we really wanted to highlight today is there is so much demand for this program. We get dozens of calls a week from merchants and uh, community business and districts and community organizations who want to help create a parklet in part of their neighborhood or who want to take some open space and turn it into a real community gathering place. Uh, so I think from our perspective, the more that we can fund and support this program, uh, the more we're going to be able to respond to the needs and interest in the community. We also are very interested, as previously mentioned, there's been some great data on the economic ben benefits of these programs, which we think really show this isn't just about uh, just you know, making a few interest groups happy. It's really about revitalizing a neighborhood. But we're also interested in seeing some data and research on the safety impacts. I think there's a great tie-in here for Vision Zero and seeing the way that these parklets and use of public spaces can make our streets safer for everyone. Thank you very much, Ms. Schneider. Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Nicole Schneider. I'm the Executive Director of Walk San Francisco, and I'm here today to support the Pavement to Parks program. Um, we've been really pleased with the many accomplishments that the Pavement to, Pavement to Parks program has achieved with um, you know in such a sh with such a small budget in such a small short amount of time. A lot of projects that rethink our roadways take. Um, over a decade to come to life and these sorts of projects are able to be innovative and um, shape our streets in a in a way that can promote safety um, public uh, safety in addition to traffic safety and um, kind of create new open spaces where limited open space currently exists and we want to make sure that this you know continues to expand that we continue to see the creative um, solutions that pavements to that pavement to parks um, has come up with as we go forward we'd love to see MTA and DPW work um, or have more capacity to work with the SF planning pavement to park staff I personally at at WACSF feel like this could be a great way to rethink um, a lot of the excess public uh, uh, or street space that we have, like the Persia Triangle solutions that help to narrow that street down, um, reclaim some of that extra excess roadway in order to protect pedestrians and increase safety. Um, it's also a great way for community members to get involved and shape what they want their communities to feel like, um, and a great way, like Annie Alley, to bring uh, bring open space and increased personal safety um, where there's not as much open space um, available via parks. So thank you for um, to the staff for this program and um, for your time today. Thank you, Ms. Pantrani. Uh, good afternoon, Supervisors. Uh, firstly, thank you for having uh, this hearing on Pavement to Parks Program, the 
awesome and most creative program. Um, I am Kohan Panjwani, uh, the policy manager at San Francisco Beautiful. I'm here to voice my support for the program. Uh, there's no doubt that this program has helped advance city's goals uh, as it's laid by the Better Streets Plan and also by the General Plan by encouraging pedestrian and biking activities and increasing pedestrian safety. But I would like to bring your attention to a few thing, uh, findings that the Planning Department's citywide assessment of parklets and plaza report said that um, uh, from the point of view of San Francisco Beautiful, it helps us uh, realize that this program is doing really great and uh, we would want to support its permanence. Um, firstly, the surveys indicated that 90% of the parklets users spend money while they were using the parklets and having worked with commercial corridors in the Fillmore and the OMI, we know that physical improvements like the parklets and plazas uh, positively imp impact the overall feel of the corridor, encourage economic activities and support local businesses. Uh, secondly, the study found that uh, the ease of uh, socializing within Parklet was ranked highest amongst the, um, the people who were interviewed and social activities was also one of the um, highest uh, observed activities in both Parklets and uh, at adjacent sidewalks. Uh, so Parklets and plazas provide a public environment to promote a high level of neighbor interaction uh, and so not only on the economic uh, and a commercial front but also for neighborhood engagement this is this is working great. Finally, Parklet sponsors and community uh, stakeholders playing a key role in keeping these spaces safe and active and clean. Uh, Parklets encourage local residents, business and other stakeholders to work together to design and maintain these areas, increasing community connections and the sense of community and ownership is developed ar around these. Uh, for these and many reasons, uh, SF Beautiful supports the program. Uh, last year, SF Beautiful also collaborated with the planning department uh, to visit Parklets and document the maintenance and other aspects of Parklet operations. We look forward to continuing our collaborations to further goals of the program. So. I would request that you support the program and expand it as much as we can. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. Um, my name is Sahidi Karampudi, um, and as the Parks Alliance Project Manager for Pavement to Parks, we do ask, act as a fiscal sponsor for some of these projects, um, most notably Persia Triangle. I support the presented strategic plan goals and, and as well as the program. Formalizing interagency roles is necessary for the program to address current needs and to evolve to address future needs. Pavement to Parks projects lead to the creation of public spaces and areas of our city that need that the most, which is why Parks Alliance supports this program wholeheartedly. Thank you very much. Is there any additional public comment on item four? Seeing none, uh, Madam Chair, may we close public comments? Great, thank you very much. Public comment is closed. Okay, colleagues. Let's see, is there any discussion among us, Supervisor uh, Weiner? I, first of all, I just want to thank the departments for the very helpful presentation. I think uh, this has been a very successful program on many levels, and it's very popular, uh, which is one of the reasons why uh, we have some staffing challenges. We need to make sure we uh, have the resources uh, necessary to make the program a success, and so I hope we will all keep that in mind. I know I will uh, as we move into the budget process. Um, so, uh, Madam Chair, if there are no other comments, I would move uh, to uh, continue item four to the call of the chair. Excellent. So I have a motion to move to the call of the chair and seconded by Supervisor Kim. Uh, without objection, this motion is made. Uh, Madam Clerk, are there any other items before this body? There's no further business. Thank you. This committee is adjourned. <laughs>